What's up, jabronis? Welcome back to Two on Five. I'm Drake, and over there in Sioux City, it's Brett. Say what's up, Brett. I'm excited. Good. We are excited. Uh, it's Christmas time, folks, and Brett and I are both big fans of Christmas in general, but also specific things within Christmas. Brett, you're a big fan of Christmas music. I love Christmas music. Probably, right? Yeah, probably more than I should be as a grown ass man but it's fine it's fine like i i'm willing to admit that and you dig i'm a movie guy uh christmas movies hit for me and they hit significantly harder for me than christmas music i love music but uh christmas movies are are a fun thing for me to experience and so we decided since it's christmas to give you guys an extra special juicy double thick episode of one set of Christmas songs from both of us and then another set of Christmas movies from both of us so you guys can take this episode hear what we've got for you and take it back and enjoy it yourself over the Christmas time so we'll start we're gonna start with our Christmas music which uh this is the list that probably was the hardest for me to put together basically ever uh, I revised it quite a few times, which is, again, ridiculous. It's Christmas music. But anyway, my number five song is uh, All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. Um, it's I, I I really like this song. Um, I, I enjoy her version of it the most. But I think um, some of the covers of it by other artists have been good, too. And one thing I really like about it, it's one of the very few more modern songs that is actually considered part of that Christmas canon. Like I like Christmas music a lot, but like it is a little weird that we are stuck in 1955 for most of it. Like it's just, Oh sure. You know, okay. Boomer, like what the fuck are we doing? But, uh, I really like, I just, I think it's fun. Um, and it was recorded like in 94, which is wild when you think about it, because that was when like she was just getting into her peak. And I don't feel like that's a thing with most Christmas music, like where stars that are at their apex are recording Christmas albums or Christmas music. And she put out a whole album and it finally uh, the song finally hit number one this year, which is wild. Uh, but I think that just kind of shows its growing popularity. Yeah, it, it continues to get bigger and bigger every year. Um and you're right. This was at the peak of her career. A lot of artists, it seems to be kind of a second time around thing. Uh, just before they start playing the state fairs and rodeos and shit like that, they cut a Christmas album first. Uh, but yeah, I'm really glad you put this on the list because my wife threatened me with divorce if this was not on the podcast today. So thank you, Brett. Your boy is staying married this Christmas. Christmas to you. It, it, yeah, it's good. Um, it, it is a good song. It's undeniable. Um, just as a song standalone, it, it's good. Mariah makes it that much better. She's a great vocalist. Um, there are some other renditions that I enjoy also. I think CeeLo Green does a great job. But Mariah is... You can't think of this song mm -hmm. without thinking of Mariah Carey. So... Uh, she owns it well and i also just like the fact that like she was still in full voice because i mean i think at this point you know like 
she's such a diva and like, you can't count on her for anything or whatever. And like, I think it's almost been obscured by like what she could do when she was actually singing and trying. And this song is very much, you know, it seems effortless and yet, you know, it can't be so. Right. Right. My number five, a little bit more traditional, but also a lot of fun. It is Feliz Navidad by Jose Feliciano. This song, for whatever reason, just captures the Christmas spirit for me. It's so damn happy and upbeat. And it's literally like eight words. The lyrics of the song are like eight words. Uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. A happy and prosperous new year. Like that's that's the verses. Um, But the accompaniment with it is super upbeat and fun and it's just one of those you can't help but tap your feet when you hear it you don't hear it the other 11 months out of the year but throughout december you get a full dose of this song it reminds you that christmas time is here and you can't help but be happy when you hear it i think i one thing i really appreciate about it is just it's it's wild to me how popular that the song is and you know there a good portion of it is in spanish and that's right. not a thing that tends to happen much on popular radio. Like, sure. And especially when you consider demographics, because I do think it's shifting and like, you know, Bieber had his Despacito and all that. And, but like older people dig the crap out of this song. And that's, and that's awesome. Like it's, it's, it's nice to see, you know? Um, right. Also, this makes me think of Taco John's commercials. And yeah, you know, like nachos Navidad, motherfucker, and those were absolutely delicious. and those green and red <laughs> chips. They hit different, okay? They they hit different, but no, I I think it's a great song. It's it's a lot of fun, and it sounds very distinct from what is usually coming out of a Christmas playlist, and so that's nice to get to hear. Yeah, I mean, with the with the horns in it, it's a little bit different than what you hear out of like a string section or even like a low brass uh, out of a lot of Christmas music. So yeah, it's definitely a change of pace. Also, there are two bags of green and red chips in my house right now because I am all about the green and red chips also. Yes. Number four, number four for me is a a little bit of a transition. It's a song called Christmas Wrapping by The Waitresses. Uh, The Waitresses were a post-punk new wave band out of Ohio coming through in the early eighties. And they were a lot of fun, female front person, um, you know, typical what you saw out of like Blondie's later career and also some of the other new wave stuff. Um, but this song for me is special because I feel like it, it, it's a typical love story. Like it, it plays out like a misconnection on Craigslist for a while, uh, about a woman meeting a potential suitor and they just can't seem to get the time right to uh, get together and enjoy themselves. But what it does throughout that the song is capture the stress of Christmas that I think a lot of us can feel at times, especially as adults, you know, the how hectic the season can be trying to get from place to place, trying to get 
everything situated for the holidays. Uh, this song does a really good job of kind of capturing that madness and how the life keeps passing you by uh, while you're trying to enjoy the moment. You know, at the end of the song, obviously they get to enjoy that moment. But I, I just think the song does an excellent job of of capturing that stress. And, you know, I, I think that's something that is worth recognizing throughout the holiday season. It can be a lot of stress, but take a moment to enjoy yourself and enjoy the people you love. Yeah, I mean, I had never heard this song before you put it up on the list. And so I played it today and I like it. It is nice. It it was very much a, a pick of of your like that reminded me of you and like um it, it speaks to the taste level that I feel like you have and and I mean that not with the in complimentary terms like it's very like you said it's 80s new wave it's it's fun and it's one thing that I think a lot of like 80s new wave did was like you know a lot of upbeat synth stuff and then the lyrics were always kind of like are you paying attention because if you are you might get a little bummed out but it's okay and uh i did watch right. the video right. which that was kind of a trip so yeah um yeah don't uh, do that yeah i'm not not sure what i saw there but uh it, it was a good song i added it to my christmas playlist while i was listening so that's about cool the, the, that's about the one highest down <laughs> one down six and a half billion to go there we go so uh my number four is um it's oi to the world by no doubt i love it i think it's just a good song beyond being just a good christmas song it's just fun it reminds me of 1995 and like listening <laughs> you know and just listening to you know ska music and thinking this will never end and i mean it did but that's fine it's it's just fun it's kind of a nonsense song if you listen to it the core the verses are whatever and the chorus is fun and you know it just makes me happy thinking about like you know no doubt when they were in their prime and Gwen Stefani didn't just piss me off all the time so and it's just if I don't hear it Christmas isn't happening yet if that makes sense so right I listen to uh 90s no doubt today actually uh just enjoying what ska music used to mean for a lot of us and so no i think this is a great pick i think it's one that also is non-traditional compared to what you expect out of christmas music but it's a lot of damn fun so good pick so um from there i like actually kind of shift into uh definitely much more traditional for like the rest of my list. Uh, my number three pick is uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, specifically the Judy Garland version, uh, which is from the musical Meet Me in St. Louis. Uh, mm -hmm. This is the most melancholy Christmas song there is. And um, especially her version, because uh, what a lot of... Um, covers with that have done they replace some lyrics and it, they make it a, a little more hopeful than what it is in originally uh the line is originally right. um it's have yourself a merry little christmas you know 
And it gets to the point where through the years, we all will be together if the fates allow. And the next line in the original is until then we'll have to muddle through somehow, which I love because it's just, it's realistic. And, you know, it speaks to like Christmas is a great time where you do get to spend like time with your loved ones and, you know, uh, your friends and, you're thinking of people, but like, also it can be really hard. And it also can remind you that like the rest of the year sometimes isn't great. Whereas then they replaced it with hang a shining star upon the highest bow, which is some crap. And I don't need that. No. So, and I mean, it's Judy Garland. Her voice is beautiful. Like I just, it's a great song and I, I just love it. It's a solid pick. I, I feel like this is one of those songs that, I don't want to listen to it when anyone else is around. Not because I'm embarrassed by it, but it's a song that I want to experience by myself. Um, Sure. You know, just to kind of take in all the emotions that come with it. So, but it's also got a, a great tune that you can't help but get sucked into. And especially when, when Judy Garland does it, it's, it's beautiful. My number three is a song that has been around forever, but was redone recently around 2012. It's Merry Christmas, Baby, but specifically by CeeLo Green, Rod Stewart, and featuring Trombone Shorty. This, it was done in 2012, so you're not getting vintage Rod Stewart. You're getting aging Rod Stewart, which I feel like for this song works really well. Um, CeeLo has this velvety smooth voice. CeeLo actually has an entire Christmas album that I encourage everyone to check out. It's great. Um, I feel like his voice plays to not only soul and R and B, but you know, for a Christmas album, it's, it's solid, but with his velvety smooth voice and then Rod Stewart's aging somewhat gravelly voice, um, they pair with each other really well. And I, I think it gives a, a new spin to the song that is really enjoyable. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a really good cover. Uh, like when I heard it the first time, like it's, it's always hard for me to like hear that song and not think of Bruce Springsteen. Like, right. Like, right. Um, and that's no shade at CeeLo. Like, I just feel like that's the, like, it, that's just one of those songs that just gets, played so many times you know so you hear it and you're like well that's different and it it's interesting which is cool and like throwing trombone shorty on is just super cool to me like that's just yeah you know something that you can tell he did that because he likes trombone shorty it's not like he was like i gotta get all those trombone shorty fans on here to sell more records because that's not no you know like and that's always cool to cool to see yeah, I think it was it was great. And like I said, I encourage everyone to check out that entire album because it's it's a lot of fun. Number two for me is one that I remember as a child. I still when I hear it, feel like a child and I'm excited for my kids to listen to it. It is Santa Claus is coming to town by the Jackson five. Uh, young Michael's voice in this track is just epic. Um, it, it's so much fun. You can hear the excitement in his voice and it is something that when I play it for my kids, they get jacked 
and I get jacked watching them listen to it. Um, really just one that is, is fun, upbeat, and just a ton of energy that I feel like captures a child's energy about Christmas. So, Oh yeah. Like in, uh, you know, early Jackson five, like, and when I say early, I just mean when Michael's still a kid, uh, like that voice, it like it, it, and it, it's funny. Cause I mean, when you find out about, you know, the Jackson five and all that and how terrible a lot of the conditions were, it's, it's amazing. But like Michael Jackson's voice sounds like pure happiness. Okay. And like, yes. So for that voice to be singing Santa Claus is coming to town, it's just, this, it's a perfect little marriage. Like it just goes together really, really well. And yeah, it's, it's wonderful. I agree. Um, so my number two is uh, Christmas uh, baby, please come home by Darlene love. It's off the Phil Spector Christmas album, um, which is so good. Like that, that entire album is insane but specifically christmas baby please come home it's like that it's a it, it would be a monster pop song regardless of subject like the the hook you know the right the hook the musicianship it's all it's all incredible and darling love is going off she is just her voice is insane like it's perfect for that um and like i've heard so many covers of it like uh, Mariah has one and like even and uh, I'm like Mariah I think you need to maybe sit down this this is not for you because the emotion in the song and again it's it, it goes back to like a bit melancholy like it's upbeat but if you're listening it is it's kind of a fucking bummer and like that's okay it is that's okay right. again uh I feel like this holiday has a lot of sadness that like we kind of sometimes overlook or we don't want to talk about and that's okay i mean we, you don't want to bum everybody out all the time but it's nice to see it acknowledged even a little bit so yeah uh, there's a lot of weight emotional weight that can come with christmas uh you know some of it is just what is reality and some of it is you know self-inflicted uh but i i feel like the weight comes through in this song and, you know, that deserves to be recognized. All right. So the number ones um, for me, it's it's Elvis. And I mean, first of all, Elvis has like three Christmas albums and they're all dope. But uh, uh, Blue Christmas, it's I mean, it is yeah. the most direct, like just down the, the middle of home plate, like just there's no subtlety to it and it doesn't need it. Like it's just, it's perfect. And like that, uh, the line when he's talking about, you can have your Christmas a white, but I'll have a blue Christmas. And it's just like, yeah, I get it. This is way cooler than white Christmas. <laughs> like, and I, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> I think that it's a perfect marriage of form and singer. Like it's the perfect song for Elvis to do. So it just hits. Agreed. Um, he nails it. I feel like every time I hear this, uh, I'm missing a bottle of gin. Sure. You know, it's one of those that just, it, it is very, 
gin soaked is about the best way I can describe it. You know, it really captures that emotion and there's no one better to do it than Elvis Presley. So no, I, I think, uh, if, if we were going on points alone, this is the number one Christmas song ever. Uh, you know, I, I think probably it would have to battle with Mariah's All I Want for Christmas just from popularity and, you know, vocal uh, ability. But I, I think just it, it's perfect and nice. is probably the king of Christmas music. <laughs> that be That being said... Thanks, buddy. Uh, that being said, it's not my number one Christmas song. Uh, mine is a little bit non-traditional, but it's a song called Father Christmas by the Kinks. Hell yeah. I'm a big fan of the Kinks, but this song is really special um, just because I the message it carries. If you haven't heard it, it's about a guy playing a department store Santa and he's run up on by a gang of local kids that start kicking over his set and fucking shit up. And then they explain to him that they're not there for presents. They're there for money. And I remember being a kid and hearing this and thinking, okay, this is just funny. Like, I, I think it's funny that a department store Santa is getting mugged by a bunch of kids, you know, and it's cute. But then as you listen, you realize that, they need the money to pay bills and to feed themselves um, and to survive. And it really drives home the message that, you know, everybody is not equal and there's a lot of people out there struggling and Christmas can be a hard time to get through when it's so focused on the commercial side of Christmas, you know, you've got to buy all these presents, you've got to get the next new thing. And you, you know, you have to spend a certain amount of dollars to prove to your family that you love them. And I feel like this song really brings it back into perspective. And there's one line in particular that has carried with me for decades now. Um, I hope you have yourself a merry little Christmas. I hope you have yourself a good time. But don't forget the kids who got nothing while you're drinking down your wine. And it, it's just it's chills me to the bone every time I think about it, just because I, I it serves as such a good reminder of, you know, looking out for the folks that are less fortunate um, and, and remembering that it can happen to a lot of people. So I, I feel like it's a for me, a, a great marriage of you know, recognizing the holiday, but then also making sure that we're not forgetting people that need help. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have much to add to that. Uh, the song itself is actually like really fun to listen to, too. I mean, it is, you know, it is like it, it's definitely a heavy song. I'm not, I don't want to take away from that, but it's just, it's, it's just a good, it's just a good jam. You know, it's good. All right, so that is our top five for Christmas songs. But like we told you, this is a double juicy episode. So we're going to roll right into Christmas movies. I'm going to go ahead and kick it off with my number five. And it is the 1964 Claymation Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Uh, you guys all know this show, Burl Lives. It is 
so much fun. Um, and, and it's one that you, you look at it and you know that it was made in the 60s. Uh, it's obviously dated. However, it still captures your imagination. It, it captures children's imaginations today because it, it's it's so different and it's pretty. Um, it, also with the music tied into it, like it's a great little musical mm-hmm. on top of that. Um, I, 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 I'm not crazy about the story of Rudolph <laughs> the Red-Nosed Reindeer for a, a whole other, that's a whole other episode guys. But this one between the heat miser and the cold miser, the Island of Misfit toys, like there's just so much cool shit that they added to the story. Um, that, it's one of those I get excited to watch it when Christmas rolls around. I know it's going to be on TV. I know I'm going to make my kids watch it a number of times. And, you know, this is something that my entire family loves. Um, I'm not really like I'm not going to touch too much on the plot of it or anything. But when you were talking about the animation, the claymation of it, like I think that that actually adds to why it's beloved, because it's so obviously a fantasy. And I think that claymation really. uh helps bridge your like it almost like sets your expectation like this is this is not real but that's okay and like it just you know it makes things like you know the heat miser and like all all that all that nonsense because it's nonsense but it's fun and because it's done in claymation like i think you're like oh well i think you might be more accepting of it well and i think you're right i think a similar thing is true about the animation of South Park, which we've talked about before. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know what you're getting from the minute you see it just based on the style. And so there's a lot of things that you're willing to look past and just get into the fun of it. Yeah. So uh, my number five is a movie that, first of all, I I don't know how beloved it is. I don't think it is. I, it was not reviewed well. Um, it's a Nicolas Cage movie. Uh, it's called The Family Man. Honestly, I don't know too many people who like it beyond me, and that's fine. Um, <laughs> this movie, it's uh, it's set around Christmas time, and it's basically just an inversion of It's a Wonderful Life. Um, Nicolas Cage plays a guy who um, he basically, right at the beginning of the movie, they show him, and he's dating Taylioni, and he's leaving to go on an internship. And it's funny because it's very obviously Nicolas Cage. And they were like, we'll make him look young by putting him in a sweater. And that doesn't really work, but that's okay. Like that's like, that's the level of trying they did at that point, but that's okay. (laughs) So he goes off and he becomes like this big wall street trader or whatever. And it flashes forward. And like, you're seeing him live this life of uh, just kind of, it, it seems really empty. Like he's got all everything in the world, but it, it seems a little empty. And, he goes into um, it's Christmas it's Christmas Eve night yeah and he goes into a bodega and he's trying to buy milk and Don Cheadle is there robbing the store which isn't a great look but it's it's fine okay like and Nicholas Cage stops him from doing that and Don Cheadle basically turns out to be like an angel who he's like well what do you want and Nicholas Cage is like I've got everything and he's like okay well you asked for this and the next day. Nicholas Cage wakes up and he is married to Taylioni. They have two kids and they're firmly middle class and probably lower middle class. Like they're struggling a little bit throughout the, through the course of the movie. Then he comes to realize that, Oh, he really wants a family and whatever, it, you know, I mean, it, 
there are no surprises in this movie. Okay. Except for like at the end, he, you know, wakes up and then he goes to talk to Taylor about it. And like, there's no promise at the end of the movie, which I really appreciate. Like, you know, he just goes to talk to her and you don't know where that goes forward or backward or anything, but there was something of just about the inversion of the, it's a wonderful life trope because like that movie, I just can't, I just can't like, it's fine. I just can't. And I liked seeing this other side of it where, you know, like this dude is uber successful in so many ways, but like, he's kind of a garbage dude. And so this family kind of has to show him what he could be, I guess. Uh, it's again, it's, it's a movie that hits for me and I'm not sure how it hits for everybody else. So I had actually forgotten about this movie yeah. until it ended up on your list. Uh, and then when I started looking at it on IMDb, I'm like, holy shit, I remember this. Uh, partly I, Don Cheadle as mm. a robber was probably the least convincing thing I've ever seen. Okay, You know, it just, I, 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 I can't see it. But no, you're right. It's this whole setup that I feel like turned into the model or at least part of the model for every Lifetime or Hallmark Christmas movie ever. Um, Or even like a a Sweet Home Alabama type movie where, you know, the big city big shot comes back to a small town, you know, sees a simple life and realizes that that's what, you know, matters in in the world. But yeah, it's a fun movie, but probably you know not high on a lot of folks lists <laughs> oh no it, and i have no illusions about that it's very it's it's honestly pretty slight like but there's there's a few things to it and i think that like nicholas cage and taylor may give it more than it deserves if that agreed if that makes agreed. any sense like are they they're elevating material for sure <laughs> Well, and I also feel like at that time, you know, Tay Leone is kind of an afterthought for a lot of people, but she put in a lot of good work, um, you know, over the 90s. And also that was in a swing for Nicolas Cage where he was just hitting home runs, mm-hmm. you know, every time he turned around. So, no, good pick. So uh, then my number four, this one I feel like people like a little bit more. Uh, this is uh, Scrooged. It's, you know, it's Bill Murray at the top of, top of his game and like it's dark and it's mean and yet it's also so sweet like in in a way that is very uniquely bill murray like uh i mean it you know it's it's christmas carol like like it's not a story that you don't know but i feel like it's just super funny and ends up actually being a really good adaptation of a Christmas Carol, which, you know, is interesting. Also, it is so 80s, and I just kind of appreciate that in general. Like, the uh, like the offices and everything. You're just like, oh my god. But I just, you right. know, I love it. It's just part of Christmas for me at this point. This is such a goddamn good movie. Um, it's probably should be in the top three renditions of Christmas Carol. Um, I, I really think that just Bill Murray carries this so well. Um, there's points where you think he's the sleaziest asshole on the planet. And then there are times where you really grow to love him 
throughout the movie. And I, I think it speaks to his ability to really do no wrong um, in the eighties. And even today I, you know, everybody loves Bill Murray, but yeah, it, it's great. It's definitely kind of a time capsule. I feel like you walk into the offices and there should just be piles of cocaine everywhere. Like it's, it's just so eighties. Um, there might be, yeah, there, I'm sure there were, uh, I'm sure catering took care of that, but no, it's, it's great. It's one that is super stylized. And so I worry that my kids aren't quite going to pick up on it because they didn't see the eighties like we did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do believe that it's one of the best renditions of a Christmas Carol out there. So number three and number four, I don't know. I don't Oh yeah. This is my number four. Um, another guy that really could do no wrong for a long time. And this for me is one of the, his greatest roles was Jim Carrey in the, how the Grinch stole Christmas from the year 2000. <laughs> I can see Brett's disappointment. Uh, I just, I don't, I just don't even know. Like we are usually pretty close, but holy shit. Okay. Go. Okay. I, I need to hear this. Part of this for me, it's a great story. The original, uh, how the Grinch stole Christmas is great. Everybody loves it, but they decided to do a live action rendition and they cast Jim Carrey as the Grinch. And this is in the year 2000. So like Jim Carrey has already started to become a serious actor. You know, this is not fire Marshal bill anymore. This is not Ace Ventura. This is the guy from the Truman show. You know, this is a guy that is trying to establish himself as a legitimate actor, not just a physical comedy guy. And when he did, he also did so, the moon. Yeah. Like he was right. Right. And so this was really a return to, what got him famous, you know, this, this physical comedy and not just like slapstick gags, but the way he carried himself, the way he carried his face, the way he carried his body. Um, it was such a cool rendition of what the Grinch would be like in quote unquote real life that it, it's just so much damn fun when he bites into a raw onion and like you can see that there's some legitimate pain on Jim Carrey's face as he's biting into an onion. Uh, But it's one of those things that like, yeah, the Grinch would do that. You know, the Grinch was this dirty piece of shit for most of the movie. And I feel like Carrie's rendition of that was, was great. Um, I enjoyed this movie and in the year 2000, I'm a teenager, like Christmas movies aren't cool anymore. You know, the cartoons aren't supposed to be cool anymore, but this one really captured my imagination, you know, even as a teenager and then to watch my kids enjoy it now uh, is also super rewarding. And so I feel like this is one that was way better than it needed to be, was way better than it was supposed to be. And I, I credit Jim Carrey's performance to that. This movie is nightmare fuel and I, <laughs> I am blown away. Like, like if I want to see Jim Carrey be funny with a green face, I will watch the mask. Okay. Like at least cause that is funny and super inappropriate. This is just scary. 
Like the, the who's are goddamn terrifying. <laughs> and like, on a serious note, my biggest problem with it is it feels like it's four hours long. It is so long. It's slow at times. And the problem with that is, is you are adapting a book by Dr. Seuss that is, I think under 50 pages. And I mean, it's a kid's, it's, it's a picture book. So like, there's not a lot of words. There's just not a lot of story there. And then, so they, and then they drug it out to like two hours and it, I mean, it really meanders. I think Carrie's doing the most. I think he's trying his hardest. I just don't always know that there's a lot there. I think the movie really works when they actually get into when he's stealing Christmas. Yes. Like, yes. And, and part of that is I feel like a lot of those are just stealing stuff from the cartoon shot for shot. And that's great. Like you should, you need to reference that. Like it's part of the culture. Like, but I, it's just, it's so long <laughs> and I just, I, I just can't, but you know, um, yeah, let's just keep it going. <laughs> Fair enough. So number three, uh, is, a essential holiday movie for everyone. It's Macaulay Culkin. Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern. We're talking Kevin McAllister and the Wet Bandits. Hell it's yes. Home Alone. Uh, barring all of the character flaws within the McAllister family. <laughs> Uncle Frank is a pile. I He is worthless. Uncle, Uncle Frank should oh, be in yeah. prison. Uh, there is a line in the second film where uncle Frank warns Kevin not to walk in on him in the shower because he will grow up to feel less adequate as a man. If he sees <sighs> uncle Frank in the shower, I have never like, there's been a lot of reasons I told my kids not to open the bathroom door. Like, Hey, I'm pooping or Hey, you know, I'm brushing my teeth, but Hey, don't come in the bathroom because my dick is that, too that, big. That didn't cross your mind. Is <laughs> I've never thought to say that. Uh, I might start. Thanks, Uncle Frank. But he's just a, a garbage person. Kevin's whole family is garbage. Are garbage well, like, people? The, like in, in the very beginning of the movie, like when Kevin and his brother are giving each other shit, and <clears throat> Kevin goes to like pushes him and knocks stuff over, and then like out of nowhere, this fucking uncle just yells at him, "Look what you did, you little jerk!" Like. This kid is eight. Okay. Um, first yeah. of all, if you're eight, you're always a jerk. And everybody kind of knows that. But to call him out on the carpet in front of the whole family, like, are you kidding me? Like, and, and like, and Kevin's garbage dad does nothing. Nothing. Like, no. What are we doing here? That motherfucker no, couldn't even yeah, pay well, for the Yeah, well, he had traveler's checks. And then, like, and then he's so, like wanting to steal shit on the plane. We yeah. are getting off course. Yeah. So, anyways, Kevin's garbage ass family flies to Paris and leaves him home alone. Uh, you guys know the plot of this. Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern are the wet bandits. They come in to try and rob Kevin's house, and Kevin says, "No way, Jose." And 
watching this as a child and watching him set up these elaborate traps to thwart criminals. It was so much fun. Uh, It was all these big set pieces, you know, and contraptions that we saw in bigger films, you know, whether that be like Indiana Jones or Star Wars, like it was always this macro set. And to see all that stuff kind of get toned down and see what could be done just in a house, you know, make a a movie that's going to capture kids attention, going to be action packed inside of a home is really special. I mean, I, I remember being a kid and being bored when I was stuck mm-hmm. in the house, you know, and so the idea of being able to capture all that and see how much fun could be had inside of your own home was part of what was so special. Well, like uh, the casting for this movie is bananas. Like, first of all, like taking aside, like getting Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, which I mean, so overqualified, it's not even funny, but like all the kids do really pretty decent work, but like Macaulay Culkin, like how, like you have to figure the producers were just like thanking their lucky stars every day because he carries this movie and he's a kid like i mean like it's you know it's not like when you're watching yes. like a tv show and it's like a 30 year old playing a teen like he is a straight up kid and like really just kind of was born to be you know in front of a camera um it's i think it, it's just a super fun movie like i i'm really curious how i'm going to explain that to elliot when she gets a little older because like that movie can't happen now like just like it just like it, you know with like power outages and phones and like right. a cell phone doesn't just automatically lose power like so and why wouldn't you have a cell phone and if that were to come out now like would people just straight up reject it like because of helicopter parenting and like how kids are just never left alone period let alone like the premise of leaving the country but you know what i'm saying like I don't know. I I think there are so many technological and ideological reasons why that film would not work today. Um, So, yeah, it's, it's something that is special to us that, that grew up with it. My kids love it. Don't get me wrong. Like my, my kids are down for home alone, but I don't think they're ever going to feel it in the same way that we did because like this could happen. Right. Like we all, we all had our home alone plan. Come on. Um, you know, now my, my kid will just get on the, one of the devices in my house and be like, Hey dad, you forgot me. (laughs) Like, and where are you going? Yeah. So also you don't have so many damn kids. You're just going to forget one. Cause what? All right. Anyway. Yeah. Um, home alone was also my number three and I feel like we've hit it. So we're going to just keep it moving. Uh, my number two is the Muppet Christmas Carol. I, I brought him up at Christmas Carol on our Disney Plus show. Um, I just love this movie. It's so fun. Uh, I, feel, I feel like if you don't like them up, it's, that's on you. There's something going on with you because like Jim Henson created something just magical with them. And also in this movie, Michael Caine is acting his ass off and like he is doing work. Yes. And for me, that like Muppet Christmas Carol is the best. Uh, Christmas Carol adaptation. I think that there's other fun ones. I, there's one from like the what 40s or something that's pretty good. And then like I think the Disney one is cute, mm-hmm. you know. Like, but this is the one for me. Um, I think putting Gonzo as the narrator is just genius. Like, and what's crazy is they ended up 
because of that, they were able to use a lot of like Dickens actual writing, which makes it really cool. And I just, I think it's, it's, it strikes the line of uh, whimsical and also just serious. And like, it's just a really, it's, it's this perfect little package. And I just think it's great. Well, like I said, Scrooge is in the top three. Um, I agree that this is the number one adaptation of A Christmas Carol uh, for a lot of the same reasons. You know, the fact that they were able to transition so much of the original writing and do it with Muppets and, you know, be able to engage kids, you know, with Muppets and still get this classic story without having to adapt it very much. You know, you basically got an original transcription, but now kids got to see the Muppets and they were cool with it. Also, I think it's undervalued or underappreciated at times Mm -hmm. how hard it is for a serious actor like Michael Caine to act opposite of puppets. You know, like there, there's a lot of work that goes into carrying a scene when you're the only living person in the frame. And he nails it. Uh, I mean, he's, he's something special, but yeah, this is, this is a great adaptation and is by far the best. My number one, number two, um, even though, Oh shoot, gosh, I am getting all sorts of ahead today. My number two is one of my favorite films for, you know, any time of year, but it is a Christmas film. It's Gremlins. I remember being a kid and seeing this film. And there's some things that I'll get to later that I forgot as a kid. Uh, and also, I can't believe that my parents let me watch some of the shit that they did. But anyways, super fun movie with all these cool puppets and characters. Uh, you know, dad brings home a mogwai for Christmas and it is this cute looking baby Yoda with fur. Uh, it is not as cute as baby Yoda. And ooh. I, no, no, no. I'm right. Ooh, I'm right. Also, you, you can feed baby Yoda after midnight. Yeah. Fucking frogs. Yeah. That's awesome. Any, anyways, um, obviously, you know, shit goes haywire. Gizmo spouts off a couple of gremlins and, and just keeps going from there. But super fun 80s movie where kids are basically solving the problems of the town by trying to thwart these gremlins. Um, you know, it was fun as a kid to see all the attitudes that came across with the gremlins. You know, they did a great job of putting life into those puppets and, you know, making, you know, making it fun and making it feel as real as it could, as, as it could to a kid, um, does happen around Christmas time, you know, culminates, you know, at the end of Christmas, the one thing I will say, just as a warning for parents, if you haven't seen this movie for a while, there are some problematic things regarding Santa Claus that that come up in this film. And yeah. <laughs> uh, fuck, it's dark. It, it's it's really a, a dark little scene, um, you know, that that kind of gets into the reality of Santa. And so there might be about two minutes of the film that you just want to fast forward to, 
or you can take my approach where I just started like yelling and clapping and, and like <laughs> making as much fucking noise as I could while it was playing because I couldn't find the remote. And so I just did everything I could to distract my children until those two minutes were over. And then I was like, Oh no, everything's fine. Watch the movie kids. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's, there's an issue there that you need to be aware of. Google it, find out when, what the minute marker is and get past it. But it, it's a, a fun film. And also getting back to these, you know, Jim Henson style, like puppets uh, and also like animatronic creatures you know, there were a lot of fun throughout the eighties, you know, it uh, kept kids engaged mm-hmm. and made a fun story surrounding Christmas time. So, yeah, like, uh, um, last year, I think I'm pretty sure it was last year, Mara and I watched Gremlins, uh, and I hadn't watched it in forever and it was, it was just a lot of fun. It, I kind of forgotten how much of just a straight up horror movie it is. It is. And uh, and it's violent. And the thing about that is, though, like the Santa thing aside, I would recommend almost any kid can see this, though. Like and that's and that's what's fun about it, because I think that their value it was, it was a strong word. I'll just use it. I think there's some value in showing kids movies where they might be a little scared, but it's ultimately pretty safe. Yeah. And I think that Gremlins is one of those types of movies uh, because I think you can show it to kids and find out pretty quickly if you've got a horror fan on your hands or not. And by doing that, you're not showing them something like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You're showing them Gremlins. So I don't think you're going to like have to spend a month dealing with nightmares. Right. Um. So, like, in that, in that sense, I think it's, like, really a, just a valuable movie in that way. You can kind of just show them that. And, like, as a kid, I loved, like, movies like this where, you know, it's a little bit scary. But in the end, I know it's going to be fine. Like, those are those are the best. It's just like it was a, a great feeling, like a rush. But um, the movie itself is super fun. Like, the doofy inventions the dad makes that are all, like, terrible but hilarious <laughs> and like you said like the practical effects work in this movie is insane like the amount of care and effort that went into making all the stuff look like it's really happening is bananas like it, it sort of defies belief especially because now they've never even try it they just do it through a computer and move on Right, right. And because they didn't, it just feels more tactile. It feels more real. I, I, I just really mm-hmm. dig it. it. You're you're absolutely right. It's a great movie. Yeah. So my number one, uh, I'm going to go ahead and rattle off anyways, even though Brett shit on it earlier. <laughs> I don't hate it. It's a wonderful life, Brett. It is a wonderful life. This is one for me. It is another one of those things that I know it's Christmas when I see this film. Um, you know, it, it's kind of a, a half-assed version of A Christmas Carol, you know, of all these things that could have been, or like you mentioned, The Family Man. Um, but it's it's such a classic movie that for 
me and my family has always been one that we watched around the holidays that, you know, carries a lot of weight and it Christmas is not complete without this film. So it's one that there are other movies on this list that I probably have more fun watching, you know, gremlins home alone, you know, are ones that I will probably watch more often, but a Chris, uh, it's a wonderful life is something that I need to see in order for it to be Christmas. So it's always going to be that, that key film for me. Sure. I mean, first of all, I don't want the, like, when I say I can't with the, it's a wonderful life, it's not because like, I think it's like legitimately bad. It is not legitimately bad. There is a reason why it is so overwhelming in culture, especially when Christmas rolls around. There's a reason. And I acknowledge that. Right. There's just, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. Okay. Sure. And beyond like just however many times you've seen it, it's, the tropes of that movie are just, they're everywhere. And it's just, I just, I'm not a big Capra person in general. I feel like he was a very sentimental fool. And that's just my personal feeling on it. I can recognize why he was a good filmmaker and everything. I'm not, I don't want to argue that, but it's just like, but you're not wrong. It's so much. And also in the same vein of the Grinch, it feels like it's four hours long. It's so long. And there's parts of it you're like, George, you suck. Like, God. <laughs> uh, like, here's the thing. Ultimately, I'm a big fan of the message, like, of, of the actual movie. And sure, like, it's a well-made movie, especially when you consider how, how damn old it really is. Like, but it's just, I just, as of now, I just don't ever need to see it again. And I'm mm-hmm. fine with that. Mm-hmm. However, you know, like I've got a kid and if she wants to watch it, I'll watch it. Cause whatever she gets, whatever she wants. And great. But you know, it's, it's again, it's not a bad movie. I really don't want to want to come across like I'm shitting on it. It's just, I can't anymore with it. Right. Uh, well, I, I feel like this one and also your pick of the family man are probably the two serious films on our lists, um, you know, that are trying to really carry a message and the message is the movie. Yeah. Whereas, you know, everything else that we have listed here are uh, also accentuate the fun that surrounds the holiday. So. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so my number one is uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Um, I feel like almost everyone has seen this movie and, uh, it's, I don't know. Like I remember the first time I saw it and like, I just about pissed myself laughing, like, like legitimately. And I was not little. Okay. So it's just, it's hilarious. It's, it's, uh, Chevy Chase at his, like, it's the mode I like Chevy Chase in the most. He's a little bit smarmy, but He's getting taken down so many pegs all the time. It never gets overwhelming. Uh, like the, the set pieces are hilarious considering it all basically takes place in a house. Um, and it's it, like, what I think is really cool about it is like 
it's funny it's very very funny but like there's some there's some actual messaging to it like where everybody you know you build up this holiday and it will never hit what you are building it up to be like it it can't like because what you're building it up to be is usually 10 christmases worth of memories into something and you're like i want it to live up to that whereas like one specific holiday will never get there and this is just the christmas from hell and you know it's just it's so funny i love it so i have a confession for everyone out there i have never seen this film i have seen clips of it you know i or you know little things that have come across tv but I have never sat down and watched this film start to finish. I don't really have a good excuse for it. It's just not one that got rotation in our house. Um, I watched National Lampoon National Lampoon's European Vacation several times, enjoyed it. But Christmas Vacation was just not one that I ever watched. And then I kind of got to a point where... I wasn't seeing it on TV and then I saw people talking about it and quoting it all the time that I kind of took this contrarian stance where I'm like, I'm not even going to try and watch this film. Um, I will tell you, I have committed to trying to watch this film this year, this holiday season, and I will let you guys know what I think probably after the first of the year. But, I can't I, I I look at the ingredients to this film and I should like it. Yeah. You know, I there's there's not much here for me to to uh poo poo on, but I just it's never been one that I've seen and so I have no opinion of it currently. Well, I mean, it's good and it's not like that trash ass Christmas story, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> like that movie's Anyway, that's it, kids. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. You get a double episode this time. Um, I will be putting together our top five Christmas list songs into a playlist, and we'll link to it on the Facebook page. And you can, you know, go from there with that. Um, We'll have one more before the end of the year. And that's it. Yeah. Merry Christmas, guys. Uh, We appreciate you listening. Hope you're enjoying it as much as we are. We love you. All right. Bye.